Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to another episode of the Ant Marino podcast. On today's episode, I have um, Lee Shutsky, and uh, Lee is a friend of mine. Um, well, we're virtual friends, so we've never actually met in real life, but we are, we're a part of um, a mastermind together. And then from then we from there we became uh, virtual friends, and uh, yeah, Lee is a certified life coach, and she helps people reach uh, freedom from alcohol, um, so that you know they can write their new life story, which is one that's not limited by alcohol or the past. So it's um, her work is around helping people um, if they want to quit drinking or stop drinking altogether for whatever reason that may be. Um, and yeah, it's a really, really interesting episode, guys. Um, we talk about, you know, her story and how she got there and, you know, what her work entails. Um, and we go into, uh, you know, from her experience, what what she's found to be the major kind of reasons why people overuse alcohol and also, you know, addictions in general. Um, and... I actually, because uh, addictions are, uh, you know, they're a funny thing because we hear on um, the TV and through society and all that kind of stuff that addiction is, you know, just drugs and alcohol, right? But we can actually be addicted to so many other things like um, food, exercise, porn, uh, sex, um, so many things, our phones, right? We can all be addicted to um, a different thing. And um, it's tricky because let's say that um, you're addicted to sex. Uh, that That isn't deemed kind of bad um, in society in a way, right? Uh, maybe for, for women, you know, a lot of women may get called whores or sluts or whatever like that, which is very unfortunate. Um, but, yeah, you know, like if... If a man um, has a lot of sex, he doesn't get called that, but it's not looked as an as an addiction, right? And if you were to tell another man um, that you are, were addicted to sex, they would say, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Like, um, and I know this because I've spoken to people about this in my past. You know, I would say things like, "Well, I wish, you know, I wish I had that problem because I get no sex," you know, or like, "What do you mean?" you're addicted to sex, you know, you're just getting a lot of sex. I wish I was getting a lot of sex. So um, the the thing is the the addiction, the, well, the, um, <laughs> the the act of what's actually happening isn't, isn't what's bad, but it's why it's being done. And I actually share something personal about myself, um, what I'm addicted to and something that I've kind of been going through um, and yeah, I'm not going to mention it right now. So you'll have to listen to the whole episode um, to find out what that is. But it's actually the first time I've ever shared uh, this kind of addiction or problem um, online before. Or Well, actually, I have shared it with people in real life, but not a lot. Um, and yeah, so then basically throughout the episode, um, we then talk about um, how she helps people overcome drinking, and she also has a bit of a different philosophy around addiction. Um, so yeah, super intriguing and interesting episode, guys. Um, 
And yeah, I'm not going to talk too much about it and I'm just going to let you listen to the episode. Um, but I will ask you guys to um, like and subscribe and you know leave a comment wherever you're watching or listening to this. Um, and if you have an option to um, you know do a five-star review and also a written review, that would be really, really great because it'll push, um, it'll push the podcast, uh, you know, through the algorithm to more people, and it'll grow and expand, and it'll really help me out um, to grow and expand this platform um, and this podcast. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sponsored by anybody. I don't make any money off this, um, but I would really like it to, uh, you know, coming to come into more people's ears and the best way to do that, um, you know, because I, I really do want to change the world um, is to get it to uh, come into more people's lives so they can hear it um, and maybe change their life. So yeah, with that being said, uh, I'll let you get into the episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Ant Marino podcast. Today I am joined by Lee Shutsky. Lee is a certified life coach who helps people reach freedom from alcohol so they can write their life's new story, one not limited by alcohol or the past. She helps people who want to drink less or who want to stop drinking completely, as well as people who've stopped but are still struggling to abstain. Lee teaches her clients a better, sustainable way one that doesn't rely on willpower. So welcome to the podcast, Lee. Thanks so much, Ant. Great seeing you. Yeah. Um, happy that we have made time to do this because, uh, yeah, for anybody listening, Lee and I have met through um, a mutual kind of uh, meeting that we attend every week. Um, it's like a mastermind. Not a not an alcohol anonymous meeting, but a <laughs> <laughs> a, uh, a mastermind uh, kind of for purpose driven individuals. Um, so yeah, we've been talking about doing this, and and uh, now it's great to actually sit down and do it. So yeah, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, definitely excited to be here. Sweet. Um, so first of all, I wanted to start off with kind of asking about your story and how you got into what you do. Definitely. Um, so I, my whole family has been affected by alcohol. And I think I've talked about this in the call that we've been in before. Um, that includes my parents, my siblings, um, nieces and nephews. Um, and I actually first started looking for help in the nineties. And I looked at more of the traditional options quote unquote, like 12 step programs. I looked at rehab. I even tried hypnosis and none of them were a fit for me. And at that time, I just wanted to drink less. And it was pretty much either you labeled yourself an alcoholic or you didn't. That was it. And I was like, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I did not like that term or that labeling. Um, but I did keep progressing, drinking over the years, over drinking, you know, hid it from people. People had no idea. Um, and I finally stopped in 2018. I got to a point, it was just so, you know, self-destructive. I mean, 
I was drinking a couple bottles of wine a night. I was depressed. I was suicidal. I mean, I was still working full time. And like I said, my, no one had any idea, but I would basically just go home and pass out. And I was just waiting to die. I'm like, what is the point? Um, I mean, there was even a point in my forties where like there was a period of time where like almost every month there'd be a weekend where I would be binge drinking. And then I would be like, you know, over the, in the bathroom, every half hour on the half hour vomiting. And I'm like, this is going to kill me. (laughs) Why am I still doing this? But, you know, it's definitely a challenge. So I actually discovered this coaching program afterward and I did use willpower to stop and it was miserable. It was pure suffering. And that's where I'm like, I wish I had found this before because I know it would have made a difference having someone there that could have helped me and could have talked with me fully confidential. Um, But that's really where the suffering comes in is people trying to, you know, we use that phrase white knuckle it. And some people aren't familiar with that. And what it's like the analogy of like someone who's driving by a a liquor store and they're literally like white knuckling, grabbing the steering wheel, resisting, not going in. And that's where that term comes from. And that's that concept of willpower. And this is not about that at all. It's really like, it's not just stopping over drinking alcohol. It's if you just took that away, there still is probably going to be the pain underneath. So it's really helping someone look at what is the pain that they're trying to numb with an external substance like alcohol. And that's really where I help people. Um, Yeah. I was like, if I can help one person, it's worth it. And I mean, I already have clients where they're seeing a difference and they're, and they just want to drink less and they're, it's really helping them take their agency back and not, you know, not get held back by labels or by societal messaging um, helping them see the the messaging that surrounds us, whether it comes from society or family, and that's the kind of stuff that can hold us back. And then helping them learn how to, you know, use tools and shift their mindset to overcome that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, mm-hmm. um, so are you completely sober now? I mean, I cook with alcohol occasionally, but I plan for it. Yeah. But like, I just don't even think about it. I don't even use the term sober in recovery. Like I said, I don't even think about it that way. I don't count days. I mean, I, I yeah. stopped sometime in like June, 2018, but I don't count days or anything like that. Because again, to me, that's looking backwards, but like I've, I'm at that point where it's like, I can sit at a winery or brewery with, with friends and it doesn't even bother me. Yeah. And cool. that's where I, yeah. I mean, that's where I want people to get to is where they're not suffering like, oh my gosh, I can't be around people if they're drinking or, oh, there's going to be a big old party with alcohol involved. I can't be there. And maybe for sure in the beginning to set up for success, it's maybe not the best to be there, but it's also helping people learn how to course correct. And the big thing is like helping them write it down, learn and move on and have their back in the process. So that's part of it too, is it's all part of life. It's like, I use the analogy of like a the captain of a ship's vessel. And so if you've got a seagoing vessel and there's a wave that comes along, it kind of knocks it off course. There is no right or wrong. The captain's just like, okay, we just need to get this back on course or as tides shift. And so it's the same kind of thing in our lives. If someone gets thrown for a loop and they get a little off course, it's like, okay, mm. how do we course correct? Let's get back on track. And, you know, no shame, no judgment. We're so good at shaming and judging ourselves if we struggle <laughs> with something like alcohol that... <laughs> We don't need to pile on anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've found that we can often shame and judge ourselves so that, you know, we do it before somebody else does it. Totally. Because, because <laughs> oh, we yeah. think, because we think what we've done deserves to be shamed and judged. So oh my you know, gosh, yes. we do it before someone else can do it. So when somebody else does do it, 
then it's okay because we've already done it and we know yeah. oh yeah we know we're a piece of shit you know yeah oh yeah. yeah literally every morning i'd wake up and i'd be like you're an idiot why can't you stop what is wrong with you or fucking moron i mean i would break the evil vile things i would say to myself every morning when i was trying to stop and i couldn't it's awful the the inner voice that we can say to ourselves and like you said it's like we're just keeping on on our own we don't <laughs> no one else can even heap on more than we're already doing <laughs> yeah. that mental voice you know yeah exactly yeah yeah and it's also like well i need to be seen to be shaming myself because mm -hmm. if i don't then people will think oh they don't even care that they're you know fucking their life up and it's like well no they do but they're just you know treating themselves a bit kinder you know yeah yeah. Or again, they just, like I said, my people around me didn't even know because, you know, I hit it so well. And I think that's pretty common. It, I've talked with people where I've said, if you know someone who's struggling with alcohol, you know, I can help them. And there was like a period of like a month where the people were like, no, I don't know anyone that's got an issue. And I'm like, well, you might, <laughs> they may just be hiding <laughs> it really well. I'm like speaking from personal experience. <laughs> you probably yeah. do. You just not don't know it. <laughs> yeah. So that, leads me into something that I wanted to ask is, do you think that you were like a fully functioning kind of, well, you said you didn't like to use the term alcoholic. Is that, mm. um, do you, do you, do you still not like to use the term alcoholic? It's interesting because I really struggle with the phrase because it's a label. It is just a word. The word itself is neutral. But I see a lot of people that label themselves alcoholic and they use it almost like to keep themselves stuck. Now others, it, it's fine. And part of it is this is what some of that messaging has been around like AA is that, you know, saying you're an alcoholic. And it's interesting because there's actually a statistic out there it's either from like the CDC, which is in the United States is the Center for Disease Control or the National Institute of Health. But it basically says that of people that struggle with alcohol use disorder, um, only 10% actually qualify for severe alcohol, alcohol use disorder, which is technically the clinical diagnosis. Alcoholic isn't even a diagnosis and some people don't even realize that. So that means that nine out of 10 people that struggle with alcohol don't. So technically, yeah, I probably would have fit into the definition, but it's like, it didn't matter. It didn't help. And so that's the thing. It's like, I don't even want to, you know, even look at that. It's like, let's look ahead and look to the life that someone wants to create, regardless of what their past. And that's why I'm saying we don't want to be limited by the past. It's like, mm. how can we help write a new story? It's not about labels. It's not about numbers. It's not about counting days it's really looking ahead and releasing that messaging. So again, some people, some people say, yeah, I, I was an alcoholic and I've been sober for 20, 30 years. And it's like, great. If it worked for them and they did the 12, 12 step program, that's amazing. Mm. Good for them. Mm. There's a lot of people though, that have tried traditional approaches and it didn't work for them. So it's just nice to know that there's another option out there with this one-on-one -on -one coaching. So. Yeah. Okay. So how did you kind of, well, um, you can't say label it because you, you didn't want to put a label on it, but um, like if, if you were to say you were fully functioning, would you say that you would, you were fully functioning in your life, but also overusing alcohol? 
I was fully functioning in the sense that I was holding down a job mm. and I was, I had friendships and relationships, but my destructive patterns in my relationships were getting out of control. And like I said, toward the end, um, besides work and taking care of my dog, I really wasn't functioning in relationships per se. Yeah. Um, again, just kind of just hanging out, like I said, really isolating, staying at home, you know, or just over drinking at night. So, so no, it had gone to that point. And I finally was like, you know, I had an exceptionally bad evening. I was driving. Thank goodness I didn't hurt anybody. I mean, it was bad. It was blackout. And I was like, if I had been arrested, I would have to stop because I'd be in jail <laughs> and I'd be stopping. And it's like, it just was, again, I had tried numerous times, but like I said, relying on willpower truly is suffering. It's like, it was like months of suffering. I just locked myself away from everything besides work. So it was just, I'm like, man, if I can help one person not have to go through that, you know, and like, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, would you say that your audience generally is maybe a slightly, uh, what do you think like the demographics of your audience is? It's maybe 20s, 30s, 40s? Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. It's yeah. Um, mainly yeah, around um, 30s, um, okay. but does go into the 20s and also the 40s. Yeah. 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 And the reason I ask is like I said, when I first started looking for help in the 90s, I was probably in my late 20s. Mm. So it's like, I knew that I wanted to drink less, but the options that were out there weren't a fit for me. Cause again, it was either all or nothing. And so that's the thing is if someone's listening to your podcast and really it's not even about having a problem with alcohol, it's about, is my over drinking creating a net negative result in my life? Cause someone, mm -hmm. people will ask me, well, how do you know someone needs help? And I'm like, well, it's always up to the person. And it's not whether or not they have a problem, quote unquote, it's are they creating a net negative result in their life from over drinking alcohol? And if that's the effect, it's a net negative for them, then sure, we can look at it. If they're like, nope, I have a beer after work at night, I come home and I have a couple drinks on the weekend, I'm fine. Great. Awesome. So that's really what it is. It's not about having a problem. It's about, is it a net negative result in the life of that person? And like I said, you know, if someone's listening to this and they're a little earlier in the process and they're like, yeah, I'm kind of over drinking, I would like help. It's like, for sure would mm. love to help them, you know, yeah. nip it in the bud sooner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, but it's hard for people that are, that are stuck in it to realize that it is causing a problem. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Because, well, from what I think is because they're in it um, mm -hmm. and they've been in it for so long, they, they haven't seen life in another way. So, yeah. yeah so definitely. they think what they're doing is fine. Yeah. You know? And there is an extreme point, like you talk about where it's like people that truly are extremely using, if they're like, no, I really am an alcoholic and they want, you know, a 12 step program or rehab program, totally appropriate. This is for the nine out of 10 where it's not that extreme. And you're right. People have to, um, I was listening to someone, they were talking about how it's just even the importance of asking for help or making the decision to reach out and ask for help. And like you said, a lot of times we're so in it, we don't even realize that options are available. And we don't, I never asked for help at the end because again, I felt so much shame. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't want to burden people with what I'm going through. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the, the thought errors that are going on in my mind. And so I agree. It's, you know, I think that's part of the challenge is people are, are uh, struggling and suffering in silence because mm. the people around them may not know. Yeah, for sure.
Um, and that, what you just said there about being a burden, that is mm-hmm. like such a key thing for people struggling, you know, with mental health stuff and yep. you know, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. They think talking about it is looking like, um, you know, um, you know, they don't want to be, they don't want to be seen to be depressed because people will judge them. Oh, they're just a depresso, you know, or they'll, you know, mm-hmm. this isn't, I'm not yeah. saying it's for everybody, but there are some people that do talk like that. And then mm-hmm. unfortunately that holds people back from speaking their truth and, and getting help because yep. they're scared of, you know, looking yeah. like a depresso yeah. or being a, mm-hmm. um, uh, an inconvenience to somebody, you know? Exactly. Yep. We think uh, we're going to be an inconvenience for sure. Yeah. And, and that was the thing is you talked about mental health and like my mom was bipolar, which is manic depressive. And one of my brothers, he had clinical depression and he struggled with alcohol and he committed suicide. And it's like, it's that same thing of, it, at least in the States and America, the message from the media is if you're not happy, 100%, 100% of the time, something's wrong with you. You should be happy all the time, which is not true. Mm-hmm. And if something's wrong with you because you're not happy all the time, you should do something like drink or shop or eat or all these over consuming of something external, watch TV, go shop online, you know, look at porn. Mm. And so part of it is helping clients realize that that societal messaging that you should be happy all the time. If you're not, something's wrong. It's like, well, no, life is a spectrum of emotions. Um, And I love the analogy of like, the color palette, like on a painting, like a color palette, you know, all the colors of our life is the full spectrum of emotions. And that's how we can create, you know, paint the full canvas of our life, the hundred percent, but it's getting comfortable with the 50, 50, the range and the spectrum of the emotions that we have and learning how to sit and feel with them, process them, release them, which I think, you know, we've talked about in that, in the weekly call, the purpose-driven individuals is that importance of releasing those emotions and releasing those feelings and processing them through and realize we'll get to the other side. We don't have to reach for a drink to numb that Mm. feeling that's happening. hundred percent, hundred percent. And, um, I don't watch, you know, the news or, um, free to air TV. So I, or the radio. So I don't, I don't hear a lot of the messaging and the reason that I stopped, (laughs) you know, the reason I stopped doing that was because, the the messaging was you know a lot around fear and and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and um but for sure the same as america um you know people think that they have to be happy all the time and um there's no messaging about saying that um you know being sad is okay but right. there's lots of messaging around you know, people shopping and spending money with smiles on their faces. So without Mm -hmm. actually, without actually saying, if you want to be happy, go shopping. It -hmm. just, it's a subliminal messaging to say, well, they're happy. I need to be doing what they're doing. Yep. And, and, uh, you know, it can, you can even fall into that. um, Even if you don't see the messaging on the TV and the radio, it's just kind of a human nature kind of thing. I, you know, for me, I used to be really, really unhappy and, you know, I had, I had cars, I had a house, you know, I had lots of money, blah, 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 but I just felt empty and, and 
and unhappy. And then I would look to my, my mates and um, when I hung around with them, you know, they would seem pretty happy. So I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, fuck, I need to be doing what they're doing, <laughs> right? Totally. <laughs> which, yep. which is Keep like, up with the Joneses. yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like one of my mates was, you know, just always renovating stuff around his house and keeping busy all the time, flat out, right? So I thought, well, that's mm-hmm. what I need to do. And nothing changed, you know? Yeah. Um, and I would look to other people and go like, oh, well, you know, they're doing that. I need to do this. Um, but none of it, none of it made me happier. It, right. it just pulled me further away because exactly I wasn't being true to myself. Yep. Right. Yep. It's just um, obscuring the under whatever is underneath. And, and that's a great example. Your friend who was doing like working on his house all the time. That's even another thing someone can do. Someone can overwork like people, yeah. you know, that work all the time, 40, 60, 70 hours. And it's like, they may be overworking because they're trying to avoid feeling emotion. And to your point, the messaging, even if we're not listening to the news or watching TV, it's on billboards. Like you drive down the street and you can see it. Yeah. It's just pervasive. So it's, and until we start like realizing it, we're like, whoa, it's like you said, it's everywhere. And just that whole thing of like someone holding up a beer or someone shopping and they're all smiling and they're all happy or they're eating the hamburger. Yeah. And the items themselves aren't inherently wrong or right. There's no moral value to the act of taking a drink or eating a potato chip or eating a chocolate chip cookie or, you know, alcohol is neutral. Food is neutral. There is no right or wrong, Mm. but the messaging we get is so like, if you're not doing this, you're bad. You should be drinking or you should be eating or shopping. So you feel better or, Oh, you're over drinking. This is bad. You know, you should you know, and that's where a lot of that shame comes in or, oh, like you said, your example of people, we don't want to talk about mental illness because we feel like it's going to be a burden on somebody. And I think one thing with the pandemic, it's really opened up. Um, there is more opportunity now for virtual connection. I mean, that's how we connected was virtually with the group and, and more people are sharing their stories where they're talking about these things of the impact of mental health in their lives or issues that maybe they've struggled with and they're sharing their story. And so I think that that is a benefit is that now there's more resources available to people across the globe and being able to connect virtually. So that is huge. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And technology has been so good for that (laughs) throughout the pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so I wanted to ask you, uh, from your experience, what have you found to be the major reasons um, people overuse alcohol? It is a combination, what I've seen, um, of messaging from like family. A lot of times it's messages um, that they heard growing up. Like I had one client where she talked about how her mom basically said, if you have any kind of drink of alcohol, you're an alcoholic. And her dad really struggled with alcohol. So that was the message she got in family. Um, Some of it is that societal messaging, like, ooh, you wanna celebrate, celebrate with alcohol. Mm. So I think think really the big thing is the messaging is alcohol fixes things. I know that's what another client, her thought is, alcohol will fix this, alcohol fixes everything. And so- I think the common thread is that it's just these thought errors that people have and really helping them tease apart 
these beliefs or these stories and really question it, but question it from a place of curiosity and awareness and basically saying, is that thought still serving you? Is it still useful? If it's not, let's really tease this out and understand where it came from and how we unravel it and look at what is a different way to maybe view this or a different thought that is going to serve you or is going to be useful. So first off, Mm. it's just like the messaging that people have, um, the stories that they've, you know, kind of internalized. And they think that these stories are factual, that they're absolutely true. And it's like, well, let's look at that. Is that really serving you? Let's question that. So that was, yeah. I would say would be the common theme because the, and then they're, they're using alcohol again to numb something that they don't want to feel. Mm, yeah. Um, so I remember working, working away, um, you know, on a, um, a civil construction site, which is building a, building a dam and, um, the, a couple of the supervisors, I went around to their place one night for, for a drink. Uh, oh, we were at the pub and then we went back to their place for a few more drinks. And this is when I used to, you know, drink way too much. And then they, um, they, uh, brought out a bottle of vodka or something and they started drinking it straight. And, uh, and then I was like, Jesus Christ, you know, like <laughs> you guys, are, you guys are tipping it in. And then they're, they're like, yeah, we do this every night. I was like, <laughs> every night. And they're like, well, yeah, working a job like us, we have to. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. That's a weird belief. It's <laughs> yep. a really weird belief. Yeah. I'm sure there's other people out there that don't do this, but anyway. <laughs> Um, but you know, I had all my own, my own beliefs as well. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. which to numb, like you said, is a massive mm-hmm. one. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Well, and the other one, like we think, we think that, you know, like definitely like there were times like in college and afterwards, like I thought, yeah, or celebrating and raging on with alcohol. It's amazing. It's a party. It's like, and then it's like, no, it's not the next morning. It's like your, yeah. your body's paying for it. It's like, but we think again, we see in commercials, people are drinking, they're partying, they're happy. And it's like, mm. and then you don't see the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. And that's yeah. one of the things when I'm talking with people, it's like, it can get so heavy, the, the concept, but it's like trying to bring in the laughter and the reality of like, this is just part of being human. It's like, it's this concentrated substance. And yes, we've done things and maybe we're like, oh my gosh, that's not what I wanted to do. And it's like, it's okay. <laughs> Let's look at it and be like, all right, how do we start to unravel it? Yeah. Like your stories of like you being surrounded where they're doing this every night. You're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I was at that time, I was actually drinking uh, every night. I was having maybe four to six, you know, pre-mixed cans. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't, you know, drinking another half a bottle of vodka afterwards, you know, and I'm just like, <laughs> right. oh, Jesus. Right. You're like, kind of, I was like, whoa. Yeah. It was a bit eye opening. Yeah. 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 So yeah um so uh with with what you do is it just about um kind of overcoming the overuse of alcohol or is it also like would you say it's an addiction 
I actually look at, um, we look at the overuse and there's actually three kinds of responses that could be going on that could be tr triggering the, the over drinking. So one of them can be the physical response where the body, like you get a dopamine hit, which is what's going on in the brain. So like when we eat something concentrated, like concentrated sugar, or we drink alcohol, which is concentrated, even like drugs like heroin, we're, that's a dopamine hit. That is a physical response in the brain. So for sure there's, there's that, but there's also habitual. So there's conditioning. So the example of someone that comes home from work, they get in, they walk to the fridge, they crack open a beer. Mm. It's almost mindless because it's just habitual or, Hey, I drive home. I stop at the liquor store. I buy this, I go home. You know, like the ritual we talk about, like rituals, like for me, like the wine bottle, opening the mm. wine bottle, popping the cork, pouring the glass. Mm. So there's habitual. And then the other part of it is, are we actually numbing emotions? So there's actually like three different kinds of responses we can look at and see. And it's more just to kind of see where someone really can catch themselves the most, because someone may really be more operating on habit where it's. I come home, I come home from work, I walk into the kitchen, I open the fridge, I grab a drink. And it's just become so ingrained. It's almost like that conditioning. It's like trying to create that awareness and then create the pause, the space between walking in the door and grabbing the drink and just like starting to create that space. Um, or if it's truly like someone's like, I feel stressed or I feel really anxious or I feel really angry and I just don't like this feeling and then I'm grabbing this drink to numb that emotion. Um, and part of it, like when it's a physical response, like if it's a dopamine re response, where it's truly our subconscious is looking for that, that reward. It's like our brains, you know, they'll seek, seek rewards, avoid pain, avoid pain and trying to be as efficient as possible, our survivor brain. So using our human brain to be like, all right, I'm going to plan in advance and I'm going to plan for this because I know my survivor brain is going to kick in for this. Mm. So that's kind of what we talked about is those, like I said, those three different kinds of responses. Yeah. That people can kind of experience. Um, so I'm not sure. Have you looked into um, like addiction across the board to, you know, all addictions and have you found there's like a common kind of a common thing with all addictions? I haven't looked at it that way, but like I said, I have looked at the concept of are we over consuming something to basically hide from our lives? Mm. So it's looking to something external thinking it's going to change our inner, our inner life experience. And like I said, it, it could be food, it could be alcohol, it could be mm. another substance, it can be work, it can be an activity, it can be TV. Mm. So it's really more looking at it that way. Why am I over consuming? Why am I turning to this to numb what I'm dealing with on the inside? And like mm. I said, if someone feels like they truly do have you know, an addiction and they're like, I want to go to rehab or I want to do a great, go for it. That's awesome. Or you want to work with it for a therapist. If they're dealing with a significant trauma, for sure, go work with somebody clinical. Mm. Um, but I think again, like I said, in the nineties, it was like, it was either you said you were an alcoholic or there was no help available for you. So it's, mm. it's that thing of, like I said, the stat of like, well, 90% of the people out there are not in that category of severe alcohol use disorder. They wouldn't qualify, quote unquote, as addicted to alcohol or an alcoholic. So that means nine out of 10 people, they're not in that space. Mm. Yeah. And again, that's um, just around alcohol. I don't know about like the other substances, but. Yeah. Um, I've never actually admitted this publicly before, um, but I have spoken to 
couple of people about it. Um, mm. Not therapists, but just like um, kind of uh, friends or cousins. Um, mm. Or even my clients, I have spoken to them about them because I like to use it, um, you know, to let them know that they're, you know, then they're human as well. And well, I'm human as well. And it's kind mm -hmm. of it's normal yeah. to do this kind of thing. And um, yep. so for me, um, like uh, watching porn can be an mm -hmm. addiction for me. Yep. Um, and, you know, it's funny because you don't want to admit that you um, have a porn addiction because it's if you tell someone that you don't watch porn, especially a male, they think, what's wrong with you? You know, <laughs> uh, you know, what are you, what are you gay or something? It's like, well, no, if I was gay, which it doesn't matter if I was, but gay people can still watch porn. There's gay porn, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like what I've found when I turn to the, the porn is that I'm lacking connection. I'm lacking human mm -hmm. connection. So, yeah. yeah. Um, because like love and connection is one of the, the core six human needs, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when, when you don't have that and you're lacking that, um, for me, what I found is I, I turned to the porn for the connection, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. even though it's not me doing it, but my brain is like, oh, like that's, you know, that's enticing, you know? Yeah. That yeah. makes me feel um, a certain way, which is not necessarily connection, but, you know, you, I turn to that thing because I think it's going to give me connection or to numb out, not, not feeling lonely or you know feeling unconnected so yeah well and that's a great example because so using that as an example using porn as an example porn is like a concentrated version of sex and your brain may be getting that dopamine response when you're viewing it visually and like you said is it also something where i'm i'm trying not to feel the emotions that are going on underneath and then again the question is is it creating a net negative result in your life? Mm. If you're watching porn, it's like, okay, if someone's like, I'm watching, you know, hundreds of hours of porn and I'm not able to have any connections with anybody or any kind of emotional relationship or, or romantic relationship with a partner, then it might be like, they might say, yeah, I think it is creating a net negative result. But someone else may say, no, I just watch porn occasionally or my partner and I watch porn together. Or, no, I just come home and I want to chill out and I want to watch porn and it's fine. Mm. And it's like, no, it's not creating a net, net negative result for them in yeah. their life. And that's really where that question fits in. And that's where each individual can say, is it creating a net negative result for me or not? Mm. But that's a really good example. That's another example of, of turning to something that's concentrated and overing, over consuming something like porn. And our brain's like, yeah, this is great. Bring me more. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, and the thing is, if someone was to ask me like, well, how much do you watch porn? And, um, it would sound like not a lot because I'd be like, oh, you know, you know, once a, once a night or maybe a couple of times a night, you know, um, or maybe I'll have a day off and then, you know, do it again. And people think, well, that's not really that bad, but from what I've, kind of analyzed in myself is it's not so much about 
how many times you're doing it. It's the reason why I'm doing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah, you can, you can watch porn. Like porn can be, you can do it in a healthy way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's by yourself or with your partner, whatever, but it's not healthy when you're doing it to, like we've been speaking about, to numb and run away, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing is if it's creating that net negative result of there's an emotion underneath or a feeling underneath that's not being processed. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, if I'm just looking at porn and watching porn because I don't want to feel the emotion that's going on underneath, that's mm. where it's like, is this creating a net negative result? Yeah. And again, for each person, their answer is different, but that's, that's where, again, it's not about whether or not it's a problem. It's what is it creating for that person in their life in terms of the result that they're experiencing? Yeah. And that's why I try to help people just kind of when I'm working with people with alcohol help them like release again, a lot of the societal messaging. It's like, Ooh, it's a problem. It's like, I don't even think of it that way. How is that helpful? Let's look Mm. at it another way. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I wanted to go back to the Mm -hmm. start. Um, yeah. Would you be able to touch on how you actually overcame it yourself? Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I did um, use willpower. And like I said, it was miserable. I mean, I suffered for months. It was awful because like I said, I was like, if I had been stopped and pulled over and put in jail, I would have had to stop. But I mean, I had tried for years. I had, like I said, I had looked for alternatives and I was like, and I use these tools, these coaching tools. Like I said, when I planned to drink, um, when I plan to use alcohol and cooking, it's like, I'm planning that I'm cooking with alcohol, like wine or whatever, or brandy or something in a recipe. Cause I love to cook. And it's like, so it's using my human brain to basically say, okay, I'm planning this. And same thing. If I go like to a winery with friends, but for sure in the beginning, it was white knuckling. It, it was miserable. Like I said, mm. and I was like, and like I said, I didn't discover this till after I'm like, wow, <laughs> I was like, man, if I could have had a person one-on-one helping me yeah you know just talking through and giving yeah the techniques and the tools and even questioning so many beliefs that I grew up with um like concepts of like like one of the things that I struggle with was um you know we were raised where if you say you're going to do something you're absolutely going to do it and so I always expected well other adults if they say they're going to do something they should do it and try to control them. And why aren't they doing this? And I would stress myself out and be a control freak and realizing like this concept of like adults can do and say whatever they want. I mean, they really can. We cannot truly control everybody. And I know we've talked about that when we say that, but really realizing that adults are going to do and say, or not do and say whatever they want, or they're going to say something and not do it. And it's like, and that's okay. And really letting go So that concept of emotional adulthood really being like, I'm going to do what I want to do because I want to, and that's good enough. And other people around me are going to do what they want to do. So like that concept of like, you mean adults can say they're going to do something and not do it? Like mind blown, like some basic (laughs) foundational concepts. Um, Another one um, that has been really helpful. Like I said, we talked earlier about the concept of you know, our emotions are a spectrum of 50-50, life is 50-50, and really learning to be okay with feeling all the emotions. And that's what allows us to experience the 100% of, of our human condition. And like, when I'll talk with people, I'll say, it's not about stopping drinking alcohol or reducing how much you're drinking alcohol. It's, are you willing to be comfortable with feeling discomfort? 
Mm. It's like, if we can sit in discomfort with anything, like if we can sit here and be like, all right, I feel the urge to drink, or I feel the urge to watch porn, or I feel the urge to eat this bag of potato chips, or I need to keep working. If we can sit in discomfort and we can explore that and we can realize we all come out on the other side, that's like a superpower. We can accomplish anything because all we're feeling is a feeling. Mm. And so being willing to feel the discomfort, it's like, that's really where people can take their power back and their agency back and be like, yeah, I'm willing to feel the discomfort and still live my life anyway and be okay with it. Mm. So some of those concepts also were incredibly helpful things that it's like, these are things we should be learning in school, learning in high school and college. You know, I mean, these are things our kids should be learning when they're growing up because what we're told is don't rock the boat. Don't be loud. You know, like I said, I've talked about this before. Girls will be seen and not heard. That was a message I heard when I was little. And so it's like all these messages, you know, our children are getting and no wonder they're lashing out later because they're basically being told you shouldn't be so much, you know, suppress yourself, numb yourself, quiet yourself down. And it's like, no wonder they're lashing out and struggling as they grow up. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, So you spoke about um, willpower. So pretty much you, you didn't have anybody to help you go through this. You had to learn it all yourself. Yeah. And so did you just kind of think, well, I just need to use willpower to overcome this. Is that what kind of went through your head? What I told myself was I can eat or drink anything, but alcohol. That was my thing was like for to stop. If I was in jail right now, I would be stopped. (laughs) I'm like, all right. I can have as much chocolate I want, or I can drink, you know, eat ice cream or soda or whatever, but it truly was white knuckling it driving by the liquor store. Um, and the thing is willpower, we, we do have willpower, but willpower is finite and willpower is miserable. So it's like, mm. typically a lot of times that pe- people, when they struggle with over drinking, they'll get up in the morning, they'll be fine. They have no desire for a drink. They're fine. They're like, oh yeah, no, I never want to drink in the morning. I never <laughs> yeah. did. Yeah. You know, they go to work, they do their thing, but by the end of the day, willpower has waned decision fatigue has set in we're tired yeah and so you know we're emotionally tired we're mentally tired we're physically tired and that's where that thing that's why trying to rely on willpower to do it can really lead into suffering and that's why i say if someone is has stopped but they think that willpower is the way to abstain and they're still suffering it's like well then i can help them release that too Mm. because it's not about using the willpower Okay. It's about actually allowing and sitting with the discomfort and bringing in the emotions like willpower, the analogy, I think, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but it's like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. Mm. So like you're in a pool, you're trying to hold a beach ball underwater. You're trying, you're trying, you're trying, you're trying, you're trying. That's using willpower to resist. And so instead it's let the beach ball come up above the pool and just sit on top of the water. And that is the concept of allowing, you know, that feeling, um, and like, I, I love the analogy of like a person in the middle of a pool surrounded by all these beach balls and every beach ball is an emotion Yeah. and just letting them be there yeah. and just sitting with them. And like, you even talked about like meditation I mean you're really good with like the meditation. And that's another way that people can tap in and allow and allow those feelings to come up and allow them to come out. So I yeah. think you do a deeper meditation style. Um, for me, it's, it's, a little bit more surfacey, but it's very similar concept of sitting there, allow the feeling, process the feeling to release it. Mm. Um, so, and you spoke about planning, how, 
how did you know that planning was going to help you, you know, planning, you know, to cook with the, to, with alcohol? Oh, this is actually a tool, like I said, that I found in the coaching program. So the concept is using our human brain to plan in advance. If someone wants to just, so that's where if someone wants to just drink less, but they don't want to stop completely, they do a drink plan. We have them do oh, a drink yeah. plan where it's a week in advance where they plan mm-hmm. out on this day, I'm going to drink. This is how much I'm going to drink. This is what it's going to be on this other day. I'm not going to drink and I'm going to plan this for the week. Mm. And it's like, I'm, you know, maybe they'll be like, yeah, I'm going to plan on Saturday. I'm going to drink a bottle and a half of wine. Okay. Plan for it. Plan your drinking, plan in advance. And then the coaching really fits in where are they able to stay with their plan and are they staying committed to the plan? And it's not about, it's not about beating themselves up because they didn't follow the plan. It's let's look at what was the thinking that was going on? What was happening? Why, why didn't you follow the plan? Not from a let's beat you up, but let's get curious because it's really that commitment to yourself, yourself as the client. So that's where the planning comes into place. Gotcha. So you did, you, did a, you did a coaching program and um, yeah, and, after and I had stopped, this. I found after this. Yeah, stopped. after I, yeah, yeah that's where it's, it's okay, actually cool. a sub component of the life coaching certification that I did is specifically around stopping over drinking. And this is one of the tools. So if someone basically is like, I just want to stop drinking completely, their drink plan would be they're just not going to drink anything. Yeah. But if someone's like, well, I want to reduce how much I'm drinking, they would plan it. And I actually had a client recently, she basically wanted to, for her, it worked to, she just wants to drink less, but for her, she wanted to reset. She's like, I just want to kind of stop for a month and kind of reset. She does want to get back to drinking eventually, but she's like, for her, it, she wants that kind of jump start for success. I'm like, yep, yeah, we can totally do that. You know, if that works for her, let's do it. Mm. So it's also like what works for an individual. They may know based on their past things that have worked well for them in the past. So. Gotcha. Well, that's uh, kind of what I wanted to lead into next was um, how do you help people through your coaching to overcome drinking? So we always start with where are they at today? We're like, where are they currently and where do they want to be? And then we're like, okay, this is how we would get you there. And I also look at other parts of their life. So not just over drinking, but are there other areas of their life that they may be struggling with as well? Because a lot of times what they're doing in one area it may be a common pattern in other area, in other areas, I should say. Um, so as an example, I actually have a client, a younger client where we started him, um, started talking about his schedule first and looking at that first to kind of start having him use the tools and the concepts about where our thoughts are and how our feelings are. And then we're shifting to the over drinking tools and over drinking. It's again, it's that same thing of like, what are the thoughts that are ha- that we're having that are basically like, I'm drinking. Why am I drinking? What are the feelings? Let's look at what urge is coming up. Why am I having this urge to drink? You know, where is this coming from? And that's why I said it could be habitual. It could be a feeling. It could be more that dopamine response. And then starting to be used tools of like, you know, let's plan drinking in advance. And if someone's like, I did my plan, but then I didn't follow it. And it's like, all right, write it down, learn and move on. And let's look at that. So it's different kinds of it's, it's like, let's try these tools and let's do these different things. And then let's coach around what came up when you were using them and where you found things that worked and where you found things that didn't work. But always the client, I mean, you, you know this too. It's like the client generally has the answer. Like you can ask them like, Hey, what do you anticipate is going to be the biggest challenge for you in this process? What do you think is going to be the biggest obstacle? What do you think would be the solution? You know, so asking the client, I love like the concept of like future self, like 
asking the client, what advice would your future self give you? Mm. Look to your future self that you've already achieved the result that you want. You know, ask your future self, okay, what would your future self tell you about today, about the challenges you're facing today? Because mm. they have those answers. Yeah. You know, asking them those powerful questions. So um, if somebody was wanting to stop drinking um, as much and then somebody wanted to kind of give it up altogether, mm-hmm. would it be a different kind of uh, process for them or would you use kind of the same thing? Like would um, somebody that is wanting to give up slowly, would you would you like let them kind of still drink but then – well, not let them but say, hey, maybe do this, drink a little bit um, and then kind of slowly wean off? Um, and if somebody – wanted to completely stop altogether, would it be just cold turkey? It'd be very similar where let's, so let's use the first person. If someone basically says, I just want to drink less, then that's where I say, okay, where are you at today in terms of how much you're drinking and where do you want to be like three or six months and have them answer it for me. They basically want to say, oh, I only want to drink with friends or I don't want to drink alone at home or I only want to drink at special occasions. And what does that look like? And then using these tools to help get them there. So again, how to process feelings, how to allow the urge, how to use a drink plan and planning drinking and really exploring that. And then if they didn't follow their drink plan, you know, let's do the course correction, write it down and on. If someone's like, nope, I want to go cold turkey. I just want to stop. It's like, okay, we can do a lot of the same coaching though. We wouldn't use the drink plan per se, because again, the plan would be like zero drinks, but that idea of Okay, what happens when you have an event coming up where there's, you're going to be surrounded by alcohol, or maybe you think it's going to be a stressful event? Let's do some coaching and some planning around that. And I use those with people that are over, that just want to drink less as well. Mm. But we wouldn't have to go necessarily into the drink plan. But they may, if someone's like, yeah, I want to go cold turkey, they still very much have the urge that's coming up. And then it's like, okay, let's really look at that. What is the pain? what is the urge coming from? Mm. Is it again, what's the trigger? Is it pain? Is it um, in the sense of like emotional pain? Where is that coming from? Like, like if they were already able to do it, they would have done it. Mm. So it's like, if they're looking for help with stopping completely, it's really looking at, okay, what's going on underneath and coaching around that. Yeah. So that answer. Yeah, for sure. Um, So yeah, I'm just, I was trying to think about the willpower scenario of somebody, you know, when they're trying to give up cold turkey, like Mm -hmm. completely. Mm -hmm. And then they're sitting there like, oh, like they're trying to, like you, like you said, driving past the liquor store, white knuckling, (laughs) but you could also be doing that, like holding yourself to the couch that you, so you don't get up and go to the liquor store, you know, um, all the bottom. Well, and that's where learning to allow the urge, that's where processing that feeling would come in. That's where, like when we have an emotion, we can either resist it, which is willpower. We can react to it, which is like giving in. Um, we can avoid it, which is like, I'm just going to do something else or I'm not going to pay attention and then allowing it. So again, that's where not using willpower. It's like, if someone feels the urge to drink, helping them learn how to just sit with it mm. and let the beach ball come above the water and just allow it and let it in. Yeah. Just sit with it and then see what comes up. Yeah. And you mentioned something before, which I think is what you're talking about is um, sitting in that discomfort. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That is exactly it. 
Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that's the thing is if someone has that urge to drink, like I said, someone who wants to go cold turkey and then they're like, okay, I'm doing it. I start tomorrow. And then it's like, all right, here's how you would process an urge. You would sit with it mm. and just let it come up and be like, you know, what's coming up for me and getting curious and asking questions mm. like, yeah. what am I thinking? What's coming up for me? What is going on right now? What is triggering me? You know, and asking them from a place of compassion. Like one of them is like, what's the matter, Flo? You know, but doing that from a place of compassion, not like what's wrong with you? Why can't you do this? Yeah. You know, it's just getting curious and exploring. And that's where like so many people will say, I'm so afraid to face my grief or my pain or my fear because I'm afraid if I go down that hole, I'll never come out of it. So that's why they resist and helping them learn that it, it is, you will be able to go down you know, be there in the depression, the depression or the anxiety or the pain or the grief and sit with it and come out of it. Like, I don't, there's a, there was a stat that I heard recently in the last few months where they said a feeling typically only lasts 60 to 90 seconds. Yeah. If someone can sit with a feeling for two minutes, generally it's going to pass. And most people are like, oh my gosh. And sometimes it's like, if something truly lasts like about 10 minutes, that's even about the extreme. Like if someone's really like, this is a real deep, intense, emotional pain. Generally, it's still going to pass after about 10 minutes. And that's mm-hmm. for like something super deep. So that's where the discomfort comes in. If someone's like, I'm willing to be uncomfortable for a couple minutes and just sit with this mm-hmm. and not react. But that's a skill. Most people don't know how to do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Did that answer a little better? 100%. About the, the difference between the willpower and yeah. allowing the urge. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and I, I just want to share for the listeners, um, when I, when I feel like, oh, I want to watch porn, I think about why do I want to watch porn? I'm like, well, okay. I'm feeling a disconnect right now. I'm feeling lonely. Um, yeah, not feeling connection with people. Okay. So what do I need to do to feel that connection right now? Um, mm-hmm. so that I don't go and just watch porn to run away. And then, you know, thinking of, like you said, it's not just about sitting in the discomfort, but asking the questions, asking myself, well, what do I, what can I do right now to feel connected? So usually it's like, oh, you know, reach out to somebody and send them a voice note on social media. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, ask well, how they're going. That- it's even before we get to actions, it's what's the problem with feeling lonely? Yeah. I mean, there, why, why are you making loneliness a problem? For sure. And so that's, and so that's even that. And so that's really where I go with clients is, mm. okay, I feel lonely. I feel disconnected. What am I making this mean about me? Mm. Like maybe a thought is I should be connected or my parents told me you should always be connected. Mm. And it's like, yeah. Well, loneliness is part of life. Loneliness is part of the 50-50. And that's where, okay, I feel lonely and it's okay. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's where then it's not even having to do that action. And you can still do the action of connecting with somebody, but really helping someone realize they don't have to do anything. They can actually just sit there and be like, I'm going to be lonely and it's okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And that's the sitting in discomfort. Yeah. 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 100%. And, 
And I yeah. think that is a really beautiful place to end this podcast. So, um, <laughs> but I do would I do want to ask you um, mm-hmm. if this resonates for people and they want to, um, you know, uh, cut down on drinking or give up drinking, whatever it may be. How can they find more about you, and um, how can they kind of book in, book in with you? Uh, my business profile is over on LinkedIn. So if you go to LinkedIn and you just type in my name, I'm hoping you'll have my name spelled out, Lee Shutsky, yeah, <laughs> in yeah. your podcast notes. Yeah, it will. Be, but yeah, yeah, if yeah, and my contact info is in LinkedIn. So I have an email and I have a website. But yeah. getting me on LinkedIn is probably the easiest way, and that way then you can see my my bio and things that I posted. But yeah, all my business stuff is over there. Yeah, awesome. I'll link it in the um, I'll link it in the you know the the notes anyway so people yeah. don't have to try and type it in they can just click yeah, a link yeah. so yeah well and i always if someone if someone's like hey i want to learn more i always offer a no obligation consult call and that's where i sit down not sit down virtually on zoom but like and really talk with them about okay where are you today where do you want to be and then this is the roadmap i would suggest to get you there and then we just see if that's a fit for them or not so that's, that's really what that no obligation console call is about is where are you today? Where would you rather be? And okay, here's a roadmap based on what you're telling me of what we could do to get you there. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much uh, for joining me, Lee. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm really glad we were able to do this, Ant. It's great seeing you. This is awesome. Yeah, you too. All right. Thank you. And there you have it, folks. Another episode in the books. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you did enjoy it, could you please click the like button wherever you are watching or listening to this um, and also uh, hit subscribe. And um, if you wanted to leave a comment, that would also be great. And one other thing that I would really like is if you could um, give it a five-star review if that's possible and also a uh, written review. That would be really, really great because it'll help me um, push it out to more people. And one last thing, guys, um, I would like to extend an invitation to you guys about um, joining my free Facebook group. So if this is the first time you're um, listening, I am a life coach and a healer. So I hope people, I help people overcome pain and, um, you know, past pain that is unresolved and I help them find themselves and uh, build their confidence. So if that's something that you're looking to get into, um, I have a free Facebook group. I will be leaving the uh, link in the um, in the uh, notes section or the bio, whatever. Um, so yeah, if you want to join that, you can join that. There's a guide section in there and there is some free material that you can go through where you can start to uh, learn how to overcome pain from your past and find yourself again and rebuild your confidence and all that kind of stuff. So um, yeah, I would love for you to join that. Um, and if you have any questions, you can also reach out to me, uh, via the, um, through that group, or you can also message me on Instagram. So yeah, uh, once again, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and thank you very much for watching and listening and being here. Um, I bloody love you all and have a great day. Bye.